everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Got kind of a special show for you today. Uh, if you're interested in the Red Bull X Alps, if you're not, this is maybe one you can skip. But uh, a lot of the fans have been asking about kind of a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that that's hard to find out as a fan, just via live tracking or in the magazine articles and that kind of thing, like how they choose the route and how uh, athletes are chosen and how many apply and a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes, cloud flying and team flying and team size and night pass and a bunch of stuff. So some of these questions are my own uh, as an athlete, I've done it twice uh, that I wanted to know. Some of them are from my team, Bruce and Ben, and a lot of them are from you. So we just kind of went through it and uh, yeah, we covered pretty much everything that you had in there. A lot of the logistics, uh, the route stuff's pretty fascinating. So. If you're interested in the X-Alps or interested in competing the X-Alps, you haven't done it and want to know better about how to get in and how they choose, then this is the show for you. So uh, please enjoy this conversation with Christoph Weber, the race director of the Red Bull X-Alps, quote unquote, the hardest adventure race on earth. Where is my Christoph, uh, we have been trying to do this for for quite some time. Uh, excited that we've both been traveling, doing things that have kept us away from this. But uh, thank you so much. Sounds like you guys are having a really good winter finally in Europe. We're having no winter here in the U.S., so so things have switched a little bit. I understand you just got back from a nice snowy tandem, but uh, welcome to the mayhem. And I'm excited to ask you some questions about the uh, about the exiles. Yeah, hello. Gavin, happy to be there and yeah, happy to be on the show. So uh, I'm curious about your questions. Yeah, so a lot of these came in, and uh, you know, we'll we'll just keep everything anonymous. But a lot of these questions came in. I, I put out that I was going to be talking to you a while back, so a lot of them came through Facebook and a few on Instagram and a bunch in emails. Uh, so in no particular order, I'll, I'll try to just take us through this and uh, and you know just give us as much as you're comfortable giving. We don't expect you to give away all the the secrets of the uh, of the X Alps but a lot of people are really curious about the behind the scenes and why don't we start off with just you know your your position you're obviously uh kind of the front man for all of us for the athletes you're in charge of us you're the race director so people can think of you as you know the the guy that that is managing a you know a PWC you're the guy that's making sure everybody's safe and so why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how that happened, how you became the rest race director for the X-Alps and w- what it means to be the race director of the X-Alps. Yeah, uh, let's maybe start with what it means. Uh, for me, it means uh, that I'm a kind of judge. I um, set up the rules with all the team. And afterwards, while the competition is running, I'm the one who has to have the the main eye on the rules and on the behavior of the athletes or of the teams that everybody fulfills uh, these rules. And that's uh, what my uh, duty is on this race. And of course, uh, there are a lot of rules um, which are not easy to uh, being applied uh, during the race because uh, the race has uh, its own dynamic and yeah we always have to to stay on the side of the athletes and uh, 
but it should be fair to everybody what we do. So that's uh, the difficult part of it. And yeah, how I became the race, race director was just uh, that I uh, was getting in touch with Hannes Arsch and with the um, team of XARPS. Uh, I think it was during XARPS 2009. And yeah, getting more and more in touch with them, uh, they uh, asked me if I could make uh, this race director on the race. Was Hannes the race director before? No, no, it was um, uh, Cox uh, who was the race director before. Hannes was all only the, or why <laughs> tell it only, but he was the mastermind, so he was the inventor. The, um, of the race, but Steve Cox in, uh, was the race director before me. And and tell me a little bit about the you know so we before we started recording you said that you know we're we're not going to go into the budget at all because you don't you're not familiar with it you don't know what it is a lot of people were interested in that and uh, I'm sure it's massive but what about some of the other logistics like how much staff is it is required to run the event you know are is it full time? When it ended this summer, are there people that are immediately working on the 2019 event, or is there a year off? Or when, you know, what does the staff look like? What do the resources look like? I mean, for me, for example, together with maybe five or six other people, uh, the race never ends. So uh, when when the race ends, we maybe have one week off and then we already start uh, putting together how things were running on the last race and what should be improved for the next race. And yeah, then already the organization of the next race is starting. So um, for yeah, I would say it's around five or six people which are uh, totally involved all the time with the race. For me, it's not a full-time job, of course not. Uh, but uh, yeah, I always have a meeting again with, with all these people and talking about things which need to be done on the schedule and so we are involved with this all the time. And during the, the race, which is around three weeks, uh, then it's a total full-time job for everybody who is involved with this. Uh, yeah, it's a question of uh, who you all count to the stuff, but then it's for sure around 30, 40 people which are in, in this stuff. And how much of that is Zoom, and how much of that is is Red Bull? Is there, you know, it did when in in my experience, there haven't been many, you know, Red Bull employees really involved with this. It's most is it is that right? Is it mostly Zoom that runs the event? Yeah, yeah, that's totally right, and um, that's one thing people often mix off. Uh, mm. Red Bull is just uh, a sponsor of the race, and it's the most important sponsor, of course. Um, but uh, the one who is running uh, this race is Zoom. And so, is, it, can we credit that mostly to Hannes and Ulrich? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They they are the two which were uh, putting life into this event and inventing it and uh, making it uh, to what it is now. So the the I, I can't wait to ask you about the route and you've already mentioned it a couple times and the and the team involved in that which I wasn't aware of I didn't know it was a team but before we get to that how, how is the race in, in your eyes I mean it sounds like you were involved you know. 
full time in a, in a sense from 2009 on, but I know you've been a fan since the beginning and have followed it from the beginning. Um, what are what are the kind of the major changes and how has it evolved over time since since 2003? Oh, yeah, this uh, has a lot of sites where you see that uh, it was evolving in into very uh, much better performance uh, on side of the equipment, on side of the athletes, on side of the teams. Everybody is uh, preparing himself much better. The thinking about uh, routes and about uh, flying passes and walking passes, all this uh, was pushed much more and the equipment was making big, big steps in getting lighter and uh, getting uh, more performance. Uh, on this lightness um, yeah it's a lot and uh, I mean you know it best <laughs> you you were <laughs> taking part how much work it is uh, to to make this preparation and how much uh, brain power you are putting in it and how much plans you are making how uh, how to um, get to a solution on, on uh, difficult parts of the route and all this. There's so much and there's so much dynamic also in the team, which is uh, uh, making life not always easier for, for the teams. And what about what about from your side or from the organizational side? You know, there have also been some pretty big changes from that. You know, I know that, you know, one of the beautiful things that I think is still drives the race is, is Hannes's, you know, kind of original goal that it was, there weren't a lot of rules, you know, it was a race that started in, in Salzburg and ended in Monaco and, and, uh, you know, and, but, but over the years they have, they have changed some things. Like they used to be able to go all night, uh, every night. Um, and then now there's the night pass, which I'm going to get into you <laughs> into here yeah. a little bit later. But um, what about stuff like that? Is it were those responses to safety or were those responses to viewers or sponsors or something else? I mean, uh, getting onto this night uh, break, which you have mandatory at the moment, uh, this is due to safety because, and it's not due to the safety of the the really good teams. Uh, um, I don't care, or I'm not so afraid that the the teams on the first places will uh, deal with their capacities in a in a good way. It's more. Uh, to, to put safety in the teams in the in the backfield, mm. which sometimes uh, just push too hard and and go too much over their limits and run into really um, dangerous situations where where we must react in a way, and so that's the way how we reacted that we make made this rule that you have to have a break in the night. Okay, so that's a that's a perfect segue into that. That's a that's a great strategy question. And just in terms of you know, I think it's you're absolutely right. The folks in the back, uh, you know, have to keep trying harder and harder to pull up, but they're getting less and less rest, and it's almost working against them, uh, which is often what I think what happens with the night pass as well. But uh, we'll get to the night pass. But let's before we do, I, I want to talk about the route. Um, 
how how is it decided you know from from the fan and athlete perspective it always just seems like you know the main thing is that it gets longer and harder <laughs> with each edition uh, it, it, but tell me how you guys tackle that and and who who is that team uh, yeah, about this route, it's this inner team. I was telling you, it's uh, uh, are these five people working all the time on it. Yeah, about the route, uh, there are some some points which are quite fixed uh, because of sponsors. And one one question you also have uh, in your mind, I guess, is why always we need to go to Monaco? And yeah, this is just uh, something. Uh, Red Bull wants to have it like this, and um, as Red Bull is the main sponsor, we we cannot uh, kick it out and um, not make it. And also for other turn points, uh, sometimes we have contracts with the turn points, like for example with Geisberg or with Aschau last time. And that's also the point uh, why we uh, like to pass there and why we like to have a turn point there. Also, why we have to like a signboard uh, there on the ground where the athletes pass by. Mm. And the rest of the route is uh, just set up um, in a way that it should be exciting and it should be demanding and it should have a length uh, around 1,000 kilometers. Would it ever go the opposite way? No, at the moment, I'm quite sure that it's it will not be uh, possible like this because for us, it's much easier. Um, you know, this preparation week uh, we have in, in the first week, uh, it's much easier to have it uh, there in Fuschel because we have all the, uh, the the buildings there and all the logistics uh, which are situated there. So it's much easier to, to make it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that, God. I mean, ending in Monaco is bad enough, but starting in Monaco would just be hell. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you and, know how yeah, I feel about Monaco, yeah. but holy cow. And it, it would be really bad to walk <laughs> uh, away from the sea. It's much nicer to fly down to the sea and land there. That's that's absolutely true. Okay, next big question that I know a lot of people are interested in. How are the 32 athletes decided? And and I again, I, I don't expect you to give all your secrets away, but I, I think it's it's really mysterious. Uh, I, I can tell the listeners there's a there's a big application we have to fill in uh, that starts July 1st, the year before. Um, but behind that, there's this, there's a, a big cape and we don't really know what goes on beyond that. So the, the more transparency you can give us there, Christoph, the better. I, I think mostly uh, people are also very curious about, you know, minimum qualifications, but you know, wh- what are you looking for when you decide that? Yeah, I mean, uh, we get in these applications of the athletes on or of the teams, and then uh, we check out everybody who was um, sending in this application. And yeah, the the really important points are uh, the flying skills must be um, in a way that uh, we feel that he is a safe pilot in very rough and strong conditions and have. Having a lot of experience in these conditions, 
also combined in in a way of flying uh, when you are uh, tired in a way so that you you made a uh, some some kind of uh, walking up of the mountain and hiking for a long time and flying then for example like you did there in in Alaska and something like this because you know that's a totally different kind of uh, mm. skill you need then uh, com compared to to the normal flying at your flying site on a, on a sunny Sunday where you just uh, take a cabin going up and flying down or flying around. Uh, so this is uh, quite different. On the other hand, uh, we we like to to see that people are also able to to compete in a way. So if you have uh, some kind of uh, Good results in competitions, uh, maybe PVC con, uh, competition or also hike and fly uh, competitions where, where you had uh, good results. This is also quite important point. What you were saying before about, you know, trying to make sure that people are uh, competent in the air and in maybe sketchier conditions or how, how how are you deciding that if if they don't really have much of a flying resume, if you will, um, you know, because flying World Cups and flying hike and fly are, are very, very different things. Is it is it basically like will you will you look at the well, first, how many applications do you get? Yeah, let's say around 100. It's okay. always uh, it's sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but it's around 100. So devil's advocate a little bit here. So if you have those 100, are you are you really trying to uh, pick the, the 32 most capable athletes or is some part of that, you know, I would imagine just the way the numbers are skewed with different countries, um, you know, is there a limit to say the number of Germans or Austrians or Italians? Uh, and then is there a marketing side of the 32 that are chosen? Uh, yeah, there's not a real limit on on how many athletes per country. But on the other hand, there is the wish to have uh, athletes from different countries. So we really want to have an international competing field. So of course, it's harder as a German or Austrian pilot uh, to get into uh, the race than, for example, like uh, somebody from Australia or some countries where we don't get so many applications in. Are, are you also assessing the person in terms of their marketing uh, potential for the race or is it just strictly skill? Do you know I, what I mean? Like I, their social media following or their, you know, pictures or films or, you know, they, um, their presence in the paragliding community? Yeah, I mean, it's always hard not to get uh, to be influenced by uh, by this presence because, of course, somebody who has a good presence in in the paragliding community already has a name, which uh, makes it easier to say, okay, we will take him for the race, depending, of course, w uh, what his name is looking like. So if he's, uh, he must bring really good uh, stuff in 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 his uh, social media things 
but uh, yeah, on the first place and much more important are the skills. And then how much, how, how much are the athletes that have been in a previous edition, how, how much are they protected? And, and by protected, I mean, you know, if you have four slots, say, and, uh, you know, and you've got five great candidates, but four have been in the race before, does, the, does that fifth guy really not have a chance or are you going to still bump him if he's got better qualifications than somebody than, than somebody who's already been in the race? No, oh, if he really has a better qualification, then it's no question. Then he hmm. uh, will be one of uh, the ones being in the race and one of the other guys will fall out. But on the other hand, I mean, you know, it uh, the XOPS feels like a family somehow. Yeah. And uh, you know each other quite intensely in, in during this race time and um, of course this can be a kind of protection if uh, this knowing each other was uh, bringing everybody to the point that he said okay it was a good uh, good thing to be in the race so uh, i mean not everybody being in the race afterwards wants to come back to the race again and also maybe we don't feel that he should come back because there were some issues uh, where we didn't feel happy about it but um, normally if things run in a good way uh, you will get some kind of protection because uh, we know you already and uh, you know us already and so you know much more uh, into what kind of adventure you are applying and where you want to, where you will come into. I'd love to hear some of the things that would, you know, you, you mentioned that there, there have been things that athletes have done. Obviously, I don't want you to mention who, but what, what are some of the things that are uh, maybe behind the scenes that are a real pain for management for you as the race director or, you know, some of the things that athletes have done that are, you know, that would, that would cause a disqualification in the future. Yeah, I mean, from, for us always the, the biggest fear or what we really don't like to see are accidents or uh, are dangerous situations. So if we have the intention that people are bringing themselves always again into dangerous situations, uh, then we will react in a way. And if it's real a high dangerous situation, it will lead also to disqualification or um to this that uh, if the race is ended um, this guy will not take part anymore mm. night pass uh, th this is uh, this is not only my own question but I, we got this a lot from most of the other athletes and actually some of the people that, that watch the event uh, why noon you know calling it calling it at before noon when you often things can radically change in the next you know 10 hours that just seems like a marketing thing is it <laughs> and it, uh, i'm asking you to be really honest here but um why can't we call the night pass you know whenever we want uh and so then we can potentially you know that like it comes to mind uh gaspard in the last event you know called his night pass the day he was coming into uh Garda and then, you know, ended up basically at the bottom of the lake. And so it was totally useless for him. Yeah. And it, and it, it's, 
it often is something that I think if we could call it later in the day would be much more useful. It has some history this uh, this time of uh, calling it out at noon. It was um, uh, having the history um, when we had Servus TV within the race. Um, they just needed it to get themselves in the right position. And yeah, in the end, uh, we were discussing quite long last time about it, um, if we should not move it uh, to a later time. Uh, for us, it's quite important to have this information quite soon, uh, because then we can um, organize ourselves better to have somebody um, being a side of the athletes uh, who are taking the night parts to just have a better eye on them or to have some some good video material uh, also on, of them from this so it's a organization organizational uh, question this um, that it's uh, for us quite useful to know it before and on the other hand one thing we we did not really like to have is uh, that you guys get yourself in a position on the mountain where you your only choice to to get out of this position is uh, to pull your night pass because you say oh mm. i don't reach this uh, next hut in time or something like this it should not be something you use on the last minute uh, because your tactic uh, is not walking uh, working out and uh, um, this we do not like to have because of security reasons. Gotcha. Okay. The next question, this one comes in quite a bit. Uh, and I was shielding a lot of questions on this before the race last time. And this actually isn't something that personally bothers me, but I have been thinking about it quite a bit. Team flying. So like cloud flying, cloud flying is not something that, you know, you as the race organization can really monitor. That's just the athletes being honest and, uh, you know, being truthful. And that's just, that's the sport of paragliding. We're not supposed to go into the clouds. So John Chambers is, was real critical of that, you know, claiming that he'd seen athletes use the clouds and go up into the clouds to get a better glide. And, you know, I, I think we as athletes just have to live with cheating if we're you know if you're if you're if you're okay with cheating then you've got to live with wherever you end up as a as a result but i am curious about the team flying aspect you know and the reason it's never really bothered me is that kriegel wins and he doesn't team fly <laughs> so um but a lot of the teams really do have big teams and uh and are very often in the air with two or even more other pilots and it was explained to me that, you know, it, it was just something that really even the athlete can't control because, you know, say the first day in 2015, we had that beautiful day, uh, you know, Paul Guschelbauer had like three guys with him. I don't think they were part of his team. I think they were, you know, just good pilots that saw the X-Alps guys coming through and, oh, there's Paul and let's go fly with him. Obviously, that is, you know, something that no one can control, even the athlete. But, you know, a lot of the teams now, you know, of course, mostly the European guys uh, will, you know, this is their backyard. And so they've got really, really good pilots flying with them. Clearly, that's a huge advantage. 
How do you guys feel about that? Has it been discussed? You know, because it seems like that's something that could be eliminated like it is in the XPeer where it's just, it's like cloud flying. It's not allowed, um, you know, don't yeah, do it. Yeah we, yeah, we were discussing about it after the last edition because there we had a lot of steam flying and we came to the end uh, that we will not allow it in the next uh no, cool. Edition. So this will be uh, one thing which will be not allowed. For me, the, the really big problem is that I'm, for me, it's very hard to control this. Sure. As, as you said before, it's uh, maybe similar with this cloud flying that uh, it's uh, not easy to control it. And um, yeah, I mean, you put it in words very nicely that sometimes maybe not even the athlete uh, is, is the one who really wants to have these pilots on his side, but they just appear because they, they, it's easy to, to be on the same spot. Uh, you can see every athlete via live tracking where he is so it's easy to to get yourself in a position close to him and that's a point which is really hard uh, to to deal with it in a fair way so um, we, on the one hand we will say it's not allowed but on the other hand uh, the question will come up hey uh, what to do if somebody by mistake uh, is on the same place uh, can I still uh, fly in the thermal world already the other one is turning or do i need to to fly to another one or what to do about it yeah i mean i think i think in that case it just has to be you know on 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 our conscience it's just it's just like the cloud flying you know there there are athletes that are maybe gonna you know skirt the rules there a little bit and there's there there's those that just absolutely won't because it's important to them and i mean some things you guys just can't control and, we, and you know that's that's understandable from the organization standpoint, you know, I, I don't know if 2015 threw it off because so many got into the goal when the rules were changed. And I want to ask you about that rule change, the 48 hour versus 12 days now. But, um, you know, from from the I think the historically it's gotten like an 11 percent finish rate, you know, for, for you as the race director, how many for the race for the benefit of the race is it is it better when very few people get in because it just proves how hard it is or how many do you personally want to see in goal for me personally it was perfect this 2015 where so many mm. came in and uh, i was yeah i think i was uh, always uh, going up driving up with the bicycle or with the car or uh, by foot uh, going up to to pay and to say hello to everybody who came in or uh, go together with him the last kilometers because for me it was great to see all these guys coming in and uh, yeah some somehow being really rewarded in a in a nice way for all this pain and struggle uh, you had to pass through on, on this uh, 10 days or uh, 12 days you had time uh, coming in so for me it's perfect if there's a lot of people coming in and what about the race what do you think what do you think Ulrich thinks <laughs> what do you think is best for <laughs> the marketing of the event 
Oh, for the marketing, it's also quite fine if there's okay. a lot of people coming in. So uh, on from this side, uh, nothing uh, nothing is speaking against a lot of people coming in. It it's still proven. I think it's still proven that the the race is a hard race, and we will never know how the the weather will be because with a real good flying condition, uh, more people will come in, and uh, with less good flying condition less people will come in to go so i think uh, for the race it's nice if a lot of people come in the only thing uh why we changed the 48 hours to the 24 hours in the closing time of the goal was um, that we um, did not like to run out of time you know this time was really uh, uh, sharp the end because uh, uh, the time uh, for everybody is running out after these two weeks because you you have some plans when, when to fly back home again and uh, we have to set up uh, the prize ceremony and everything and uh, so Oh, totally. Yeah. No, I, I, I think everybody completely understood this year. I, what, what I was actually talking about was when it went from basically this is going to be the last day from, you know, before it was just 48 hours after the first person got in. Um, uh, you know, I think I think a, a lot of people see that it was the race was much harder to finish when it was that way because so few people can keep up with Kriegel. You know, you'd get in and <laughs> almost nobody else would be able to make it in in 48 hours. So it's a, I, yeah. it's an obvious solution. I just it's a, I, I think that happened in 2013, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. There it was. Uh, yeah, just two people coming in. So <laughs> um, that—that's an interesting question. I hadn't planned on asking you that, but is it for the race? Um, would of course you know everybody would like to see somebody else win because that'd be exciting. Uh, but is it? Do you think it's it's been good for the race to have somebody that's so dominant or? I don't, do you even have an opinion on it? Mm, I'm I'm not sure about it. I I, I think uh, it's not good and it's not bad because yeah, uh, of, to me it makes the feeling that uh, or I hope that people are watching anyhow the race because they just love the race and so I think uh, yeah of course it would be nice if somebody else uh, would come in first and it was quite quite nice this year to have Gaspar so close to Kriegel and uh, <coughs> it was putting much more tension in it but yeah, um, uh, the race will be like it is. So. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. No, it just gives us all something to fight for even harder. It's it's great. Um, so a, a common fan complaint uh, with the movie that comes out at the end, and uh, and I have to say this is this is a kind of gotten under my skin a little bit, even though I've tried to not let it do that. I, I understand how logistically, and this is not your department, so if you don't have an opinion on it, no worries. But the 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 film that comes out at the end really highlights kind of the same people over and over again. Uh, of course, obviously the lead three and Kriegel, um, but for the from the fans' perspective, who you know tune into the the live tracking and watch, and they're so into it. You know, I think the numbers are crazy. It's like five million or more or something. Um, you know, there's hardly a mention of half of the athletes uh, in the in the kind of the 
promo video or the you know the wrap up video that's an hour long. Um, yeah, is that just purely a, a marketing thing that they just they have their athletes that they love to show? Because I, I know for the fans and for those of us that don't get any airtime, <laughs> uh, it's quite annoying. Yeah, yeah, I understand totally uh, this point. And uh, for me, it's also annoying. Um, but as you told before, it's not really my sure. uh, my topic. So um, I also c only can guess and can bring this input once again into into the organization and hoping it will change. But yeah, it's not my topic. Yeah, I, I understood. Just, you know, the, in, this, in this last race, after going doing quite well and then being right near the back it's kind of exciting and being in the back it's <laughs> there's a lot of things going on back there and i think some of the fans would would enjoy that it's it's it's, it's quite stressful um yeah i think it's every team which has a yeah. real uh, good history and real good stories happening around so from every team you, That's you true. can make yeah. good, good good videos so good movie and that's true that's true um christoph you mentioned that you i, I imagine you guys have a very thorough debrief after the after the race and you already mentioned that the the team flying was the one of the ones that came up and that will be banned in the next in the next event which is great um what are some other things that came out of maybe this race or previous ones that we can are there other are there other things we can expect to see change yeah, I mean, uh, the, the most important thing for sure is the live tracking, which um, yeah. in the start uh, this year or last year, it's already 2018 now, um, was not working in the way how it should. And this was really bad. Mm. That's for sure. Uh, the, um, the main point where we... Uh, are working on for the next edition and then of course there are a lot of small things which are in in this point here it's not worth to talk mm. to talk about all of them but yeah the life tracking it's it's a hard hard thing because you you cannot really test it in a good way mm -hmm. before because uh, all these systems work very well if you just have a few users watching it um, at the moment where um, the load is coming up uh, because you have so many spectators around the world, then the, the service just uh, cannot uh, uh, deal this load and break down and then all the live tracking breaks down like it did in the beginning this last edition. Yeah. I, I know that I know the uh, see as an athlete I wasn't aware of any of that until after the race of course um, but uh, you know that was one of the things you go back on the forums and people get so outraged about but I, I don't I think there's an underappreciation for how how hard that is and it's just it's a monumental task isn't it making that all work there's a lot of, there's a lot of inputs um, so yeah I have uh, I have sympathy for those guys for sure um, what what is the what is the kind of tell us something uh, the behind the scenes that's that's very irksome for you very, you know very troubling or uh that's maybe re redundant you know that's something that you often have to deal with that we don't know about you know are there are there pains that the, the either the fans or the athletes don't see 
Yeah, um, maybe one thing which also the the fans can see out there is when somebody is uh, running out of the life tracking by uh, whatever reason uh, he gets lost there for uh, half an hour or one hour, then we all uh, always um, get in alert and try to find out what's what's going on there, and because we we always want to see uh, that everything is running in a good way and if somebody needs help uh, he should get help as fast as possible and so that's one of the points where we put a lot of effort into to always see if everything is running in the right way and one of the points how we do it is just uh, using all this live tracking devices uh, to see if people are moving uh, in in a in a good way mm. Airspace. Uh, this has been a common one, and I, I know the answer to this because I was in all the meetings. So, but I think the audience doesn't really understand why the penalties are so. In, in some ways, some of the penalties seem arbitrary, and others, is like like airspace violations, uh, can seem one downright brutal like the japanese athlete in 2013 or the uh or in this race we had quite a few uh 48 hour penalties which are which are really tough uh obviously for for those who who hit it um i think what probably many of the audience doesn't know is that it was also really tough because we didn't really have our finalized airspace files until literally the race started um so that was kind of tricky because we'd all done our training and everything um you know and and mapped it all out and had that kind of sorted and changing that stuff can be quite tricky um but how do you how is, is that something that's under review or is that well uh, tell us about airspace yeah uh, okay for me the the airspace violation is not just making a little mistake because uh, uh, for example if you fly into the airspace of Innsbruck um, there is really a lot of uh, traffic with uh, big airplanes flying in there where um, sometimes 200 people are sitting in this aeroplane and if there is um, some accident happening because uh, one paraglider is flying in there it's it's not just uh, like walking over red uh, red uh, signal sign on the street. Uh, this is quite different. You you can really put uh, other people in in big problems or even uh, make them die because you were um, not fulfilling the rules. So this is uh, something different. And uh, normally you would just uh, on on other. Uh, occasions you would just uh, give him zero points for for this flight or, or mm. just take him out of the of the race and uh, this is on the other hand quite hard uh, to to put the people really out of the race and so um 
that's why the penalty is very high. So everybody should be aware that it's something which is uh, really costing a lot if you are not uh, fulfilling the rules in, in this point, but you still have a chance to stay in the race. Mm. I, I thought a really interesting, I wasn't planning on asking you this, Christoph, but I thought a really interesting point before this race was um, uh, Gaspard and, and Antoine were really concerned that the the national parks down in France were were basically you know you, like you said you have you have airspaces like Innsbruck and Sion that are really severe because they have to be um and then you have these other airspaces that are you know most people like myself would go fly in France and I wouldn't have even known about those um but for the French pilots it's a big deal you know you've got you've got the world watching and they can't you know they can't top land in there you know, even if they if they could by the race, in other words, the race wasn't going to uh, penalize them at all, but they wouldn't because they're countrymen and it's illegal. Um, how, how will that be handled in the in the future? That was that was just something that you know I, I believe Red Bull wasn't even prepared for, so it was too late to change anything. But um, you know that it's it's tricky down there for us to get to Monaco to thread through all those. Uh, national parks and and not fly through them is almost impossible yeah you're absolutely right with this and uh, it's very tricky situation and on the next edition for sure we may will make it in the way that it's not allowed to to fly through this national parks uh, like we did already with the mercantile park on the 2017 edition and we will do the same on on these other parts which are sensible and just try to make the route in a way that it's uh, not coming so close or going through these national parks. Great. Um, you've kind of talked about this. And again, this isn't your side of things, but because uh, this came in and I promised I would ask it. Um, tell me about the compromises between the the marketing business side and the, the sport side. Uh, I, I was kind of discouraged a after the race. I got quite a few messages on Facebook and stuff that, you know, from people that weren't really big, you know, pilots didn't really understand the race, but had kind of gotten hooked in and watched it a bit. They saw it as a quote unquote marketing stunt, <laughs> which I tried to, you know, assure them that that was, you know, I was not out there doing a marketing and stunt. I was suffering. Um, but, <laughs> you, you know, is this, you, do you have an opinion on that? I know this, this is not your end of the race, you know, that that's not what you deal with, but um, I, I think people are frustrated at times with the, the marketing side. And I, obviously that's what makes it go. You can't run a race like this that costs a lot of money without it. But do you have an opinion on that? Or is that something you guys discuss, you know, before and after the race? Yeah, of course we, we discuss it. And I know, you know, uh, I'm on the side of the athletes. So <laughs> I'm on the sporting side there. But as you told it already, on the other hand, um, if you want to compete in a race like this, which has such a, a big audience, you need money to do it. And uh, this money you only get by uh, making some, some deals with sponsors um, where they want to be shown in, in the videos or in, in all the media. So you always um, have to make some kind of compromise. And, um, yeah, but but I'm on the sporting side, so mm. that's 
always uh, <laughs> uh, I'm the one pulling it to this direction. <laughs> well, if we, I can, we if appreciate I can. that. Thank you. <laughs> but we, I understand that. We, I think everybody does. Um, okay, putting you on the spot. I was going to ask my typically very long question and put words in your mouth, but I'm going to try not to do that. Tell me about the prologue. Uh, the the prologue is one thing. One uh, our big sponsor he he likes very much uh, this prologue to take part. So uh, that's one of the reasons why why we have this prologue and why we need this prologue mm. um, about uh, what to do if the weather is not flyable like we had it uh, last time. Uh, for sure it will be much better to have it uh, in a way that you do not need to run down the mountain like like we had it this time so uh, we need to to think very uh, severely about this and maybe if the weather is not flyable just to make the goal up on on a mountain where mostly reaching this mountain you you only go uphill mm. Great. Yeah, that was great. That was, you know, I, I think, un unfortunately, it, it turned out to be quite tragic for some of the some of the competitors, you know, uh, thinking like Aaron Duragati and stuff. I mean, I think their knees really suffered because of that. But I, I know that that was painful for you as well. Um, I think a lot of the fans yeah, didn't really of, understand of, that. Of, of course, it was painful for yeah. me. But on, on the other hand, it was also painful to see that uh, the guys are <laughs> treating themselves in, in such a yeah, because I I mean it's it's not such a big deal to to walk up this mountain and walk down again. Yeah. I, uh, it's something uh, who is a little bit trained uh, should be impossible uh, for him to do it in a suitable time without getting yeah. hurt from it. I was I was uh, I was quite proud that I went really really as hard as I could up, and then I. <laughs> was a snail coming down I, i'm too old for that running downhill stuff so yeah i couldn't agree with you more i mean that's that's uh you know your responsibilities as an athlete start um you know right then <laughs> so well it starts in the, yeah. all the training in the months and months before um great uh you yeah kinda, and, and oh. just to have one last word on this prologue maybe it's something also the athletes need to learn sure. uh, and uh, they for sure learn something about the this uh, 2017 edition and i'm quite sure next time they will not run down like crazy anymore <laughs> yeah that's right hopefully we get smarter uh you you answered this already but one uh, obviously somebody from romania said will i ever get a chance to get to compete because toma of course will be in every time uh you already answered that you said that you know if you're qualified doesn't matter where you're from you'll get in so i don't think we have to go through that uh yeah no that's how it is yeah of course that's totally true yeah and then um okay la last one are are you uh and, and by you, I mean the organization prepared for a scenario of a really serious accident or even a death of a competitor. Um, you know, I know you personally that you're very concerned about safety, but how, you know, tell us about how the organization thinks about it. Yeah, I was also fighting quite a lot uh, for the inreach and in the end it worked out and I was happy about it. Um, on the other hand, um, this life tracking uh, system is such a big and complicated um, mm -hmm. scenery that it's um, not so easy to just include uh, some more device in there. 
like um, they did then with this inreach device uh, because for the spot already everything was ready we had a lot of people or not a lot but you you also were bringing in some people with uh, quite good uh, technology um, skills uh, who said they would help us in a way to to include it into the live tracking but uh, yeah looking really on this live tracking uh, everybody saw that it was a really complex mm. uh, system and it's not so easy to include something in there and yeah anyhow in the end uh, it worked out and inreach was uh, allowed also and for sure the inreach is the better device much better than the spot yeah Great. Well, um, Christoph, is there is there anything else? I've I've uh, you've answered everything. I, I thank you so much. That was very kind of you and very generous of your time. Is there anything else that we haven't covered? Uh, I think I, at the moment I don't know, but I I'm one point I'm I would say to everybody this is uh, that in 2017 there were no women competing, and in 2015 there were two. And we would be very happy to have uh, application of women mm. uh, to come in again there. Uh, so in 2017, it was not that I was uh, not allowing women to, to compete or we were uh, point, uh, taking them out. It was just that there were no women uh, uh, sending in the application. So please send in your application. We will be happy to uh, let you in the race if you have the right skills and um, same to everybody who, who is really motivated and, and having skills uh, try to compete in um, this hike and fly competitions or on in other competitions uh, which have uh, some FIA value and uh, yeah try to get the right skills and we will be happy to uh, get you in the race hey i i you know before we sign off that brings up a a, a question that I'd, I'd like to ask um all these years as race director you've watched it as closely as anybody what are some of the common mistakes you see in maybe the less experienced athletes? You know, what, what would be, what, what is, what is your advice to us, uh, you know, to, to help the field, uh, close it, close the gap on, on Kriegel? Uh, <laughs> it's hard, but, but maybe one of the, the points is, uh, not to, uh, to start too fast. Mm. Just, just don't uh, don't waste all your power in the, in the first days, mm. especially not on the first day. <laughs> so to the guy who pulled his night pass night one and went all night, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, thought, uh, it was that was so funny. I mean, it, after the 2015 race, we did a massive debrief, and the number one thing we decided on is that we wouldn't even use our night pass, except yeah, at the very end, very only 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 in an emergency at the very end, trying to do some hero move, and then and then Bruce yeah. called my night pass that morning. I didn't even know we. <laughs> I got the message from you like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't, I don't think it did too no, much this, damage to us in terms of my energy level, but oh man. 
the night pass can kill you so easily ah, because uh, you waste so much uh, precious refreshing time yeah. uh, that it's hard to to get fresh yeah. after it again. I, I think it takes tolls that you don't even know about too. It's often, you know, physically I felt totally fine, but it's the decision making that I think really suffers, you know, and you don't even know about it. But just being in the air and missing a thermal or missing a trigger or just being a little bit tired and it really, that's where, that's where it kills you. But, well, Christoph, thanks so much. I really appreciate this. I'm so glad we were able to do this. And uh, you've got me all fired up for the 2019 one all over again. So even though it's way off in the distance, I can't wait to see you again and, and, uh, and, and do another race across the Alps. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, nice to have me there. And yeah, cool to have you uh, here on the screen, more or less. <laughs> cool. Christoph, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And uh, have a continued great winter. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye. Ah, well, fans of the X-Alps, hope you enjoyed that, and athletes of the X-Alps and teams. I uh, hope that clarifies some things and uh, gets us all excited about the 2019 event and the, the whole bunch of the hike and fly races that are uh, coming up this year. The board air race and the Borns to Fly and the X-Pier. It's a big year I'm going over with Ben, hopefully. Uh, actually, by the time this is out we'll have known if we got in but i'm actually supporting ben in this year's x pier that'll be pretty fun kind of reversing the rolls around so uh but hope you enjoyed that as always all we ask for is a buck a show if you're getting something out of the cloud-based mayhem uh, think of it like a magazine subscription or a video subscription or something uh, of course it takes us a lot of time to do these and it'll always be free but if you can uh, support us. It's a listener supported show. We don't do any stuff with sponsors and uh, we really appreciate it. A buck show goes a long ways to help us with the editing and storage and music and, and time. So thanks very much. Uh, we appreciate it. You can find where to support us on the, on the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com. You'll see all the links on there uh, and you can support us in a couple different ways. One of them through Patreon where you can kind of it, set it and forget it and be rewarded for doing so. Uh, a lot of stuff on that. That's patreon.com forward slash cloud-based mayhem. And uh, we'll see you on the next show. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers.